From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone, hailing from both South Carolina and Michigan, and currently residing in Columbia, South Carolina, and Chicago, Illinois, splitting time, but soon to be moving to Charleston, South Carolina. She is the founder and CEO of Improve It. Please welcome the real deal, Erin Deal. <laughs> Okay, so final countdown is your is your like walk in music? Yes, yes, that's it. Oh, thanks for having me, Raj. Of course, she is Erin Deal, founder and CEO of Improve It. Improve It works with everyone from startups to Fortune 100 companies, bringing the power of improv to the workplace through in-person workshops when there's not a pandemic, online trainings, and most recently they've launched a workshop from home online membership, including online trainings, courses, and modules, all to help business professionals use the power of improv to break through communication barriers, work past unconscious bias, become stronger communicators as a team, and overall improve the company. Now, Improve It has worked with some heavy hitters in the game, let me tell you, from Mesero Financial to Kellogg's to United, PepsiCo, Groupon, Motorola, and more. They're also a graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, and they've been going at this for six years strong as of this recording. I'm super excited to be talking with Aaron Deal today, and Aaron is a backstory, someone who I can't even remember how we were introduced. I think it was through Alita Miranda Wolf, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who is a previous guest on this show. And I think when we, you and I met Aaron, we both were like, she's probably the smartest person I've ever talked to. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. So uh, Aaron and I met a couple of years ago. We immediately hit it off. Uh, it's taken, I don't know how it's taken this long to get you on the show, but here you are. And today we are talking about building KPIs around core values. So can you uh, just let us know why this is on your mind and why this is important to you? Yes. Before I do, can you introduce me every single time to everything I do in life, please? <laughs> um, yes. Okay. That was fantastic. I feel- I Why don't we just, we'll now. just, I'll record a voice memo and you just play it whenever you walk into a room. Raj, I'm dead serious. I would keep this <laughs> on my phone. Yes. Okay. I need okay. this in my life. Um, I feel so pumped to be here. So why is, why are core values important and how do they relate to KPIs? So- as I was going through this Goldman Sachs program, um, we took a clinic specific to core values. This was 2018. Our business had been around for three years already. And uh, the, the women, I will say women, because we were all women internally who make up our company, and I um, really understood that we all had one big mission, and that is to improve the lives of professionals everywhere using improvisational comedy as the method to make them their truest and best selves professionally. So for us, we thought, okay, um, as I was going through Goldman Sachs, it was very important to me to make sure that culture was a big piece because we preach and, and talk to people about their company culture all day long. So we had without even consciously doing it, created a really strong company culture internally and also with our facilitators. So I have full-time staff and I have contractors. And so those, those facilitators were also hired um, prior to establishing our core values, but we really wanted to 
make sure that every hire and every single metric that we we made moving forward was related to the core of who we are. So based on a clinic I went through with Goldman Sachs, we developed a training process internally to create these core values. And what we did was first just establish who we are as human beings and write those core values on a big white paper. And then we saw correlations, we saw themes. And from those themes, we developed our own internal set of core values that then we use for every hiring metric moving forward, as well as review periods every quarter for our internal employees, and as well as some of our contractors. So it has been a huge part of growing our organization. It is um, the core, pun intended, of everything we do. We're going to dive a whole lot more into that as this conversation unfolds, but let's learn a little bit more about you first, Erin. So uh, you went to Clemson University for undergrad, and you were on the, or excuse me, you studied broadcast journalism there. You also were part of the Clemson University radio station. I actually have a radio background from college myself as well. I would broadcast, I hosted a weekly sports talk show in college and, and broadcasted some of our uh, basketball games, softball games, volleyball games, soccer games, et cetera, which was a ton of fun. Um, so you've clearly had this like using your voice kind of in you for a long time, not just in the improv realm. What were you thinking with the broadcast journalism degree? Like while you were in college, what were you thinking the next you know 20 years of your life were going to be like? Yeah. First of all, I can tell you've done radio because you got you got the charisma and the like voiceover <laughs> skills. Again, I want my voiceover so I can play it every morning. Um, and the face for radio too. <laughs> and the, I like to say that too. Uh, but truly, I so I did a, it was an internship while I was in school, um, and it was for a radio station in Detroit. And I can still recite to you, I did the traffic when the traffic girl wasn't there. I was just so excited to have that moment on air when she wasn't around. Um, but behind the scenes, I was helping production. I was helping pull um, just fun things that they could talk about on the air. I was, I was getting my kind of wheels greased, I will say, for I think what has prepared me for this. Um, but the whole purpose, Raj, was I was supposed to be Oprah. Mm -hmm. huh. um, yeah. And so that was since I was 13, my, I had a maiden name of, my name was Aaron Holbrook. So it's more of a mouthful than Aaron Deal. Aaron Deal is actually a true blessing. It's just, mm -hmm. there's a lot of puns you can make, but yes. the Aaron Holbrook show was supposed to be a thing. And, uh, my parents, God bless them. We're like, if anybody can do it, it's you because you'll bug the crap out of some, somebody until you get it. So they never told me I couldn't do it. So I went to school for broadcast journalism, knowing that this was sort of the plan. Couple that with, I've always performed. So I grew up on stage. My mom is in theater. She's still in theater to this day. I danced and sang and acted my entire life. And then even in high school, like I've always just had a, I love comedy. I was voted class clown, like out of my high school. Um, so it was always in the back of my mind that a, a career in talk. Oh, here's the thing. I wanted to be a talk show host. I had no platform or anything to talk about. I just knew I loved people and I wanted to make an impact and a difference in some way, shape or form. So I thought, let's get a journalism degree. Um, turns out you, when you have a communications degree, you don't have a set career path. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was, I, I've just always gone into things like, let's You mean try you didn't this. get offered a TV show that, like on graduation day? Oh my God, Raj, it was shocking to me. Um, <laughs> as many people were shocked as well. Um, but it does, it definitely, it was just a, one of many lessons in failure that I've learned along the way, but it, um, the, the goal was to become a talk show host. And I, I think I've got it now. I think I have my own talk show in some way, shape, or form. Um, but it took me a really long time to figure out how to get here. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, let's, let's assume. Let, let's, let's play a little, uh, what's the game? Dreaming? I don't know if that's the name of the game. but yeah. uh, Dream Big by Startup yes. Hype Man. Uh, 
Let's say the Aaron Holberg show is happening today in the original vision that you had when you were 13 years old. So like your version of Oprah. Um, who is your dream interview? Oh my God, this is the best question ever. Who is my, well, I'm going to just turn it on the gal, Oprah. I mean, whose dream interview isn't Oprah? <laughs> I, I don't, that seems cliche. It would either be her, I, or here's another shocker, Ellen DeGeneres. I love mm. both of them. I channel Ellen in my workshops. She literally, I like take, I take my arms and I open myself up and I'm like, let the light shine in and Ellen DeGeneres. And then uh, I just feel that forward um, because I just think she's a great um, sort of symbol of inclusivity, of positivity, of fun, of character. And also with Oprah, I mean, she has just done so much for so many people. And the, the commonality for both of them is that they, yes, they have the platform. Yes, they are the vessel but everything they do is for the greater good of others, which is my primary goal now. I think when I was 13, my goal was purely selfish. If I'm looking back and being honest, it was, I want to talk on TV. I want to be famous. I don't want to be famous. I want to help people and I want to help them in a way that impacts their lives every single day. And I think, you know, when you're 13, you don't realize those things. I, I, I just knew I loved I guess I didn't want to make a difference. I didn't know that, but I didn't know how. And I think that um, improv has given me that how. Sure. Um, the Ellen one's interesting only because she's been under a lot of fire recently. So I'm just curious uh, with the like allegations that have come up with the Ellen show. Like, how, Has that kind of what? changed? Oh, you're not familiar. Am I living under a rock? Oh, rush? man, maybe you are. There have been, um, there's been a lot of talk and there's an investigation underway about a toxic workplace environment on the Ellen show that has happened under her eye. I don't know. I haven't looked into it, to be honest. I don't know if it's her having poor employment practices specifically and like, for lack of a better phrase, like her being an a-hole or yeah. if it was like the overall workplace environment. Uh, she actually did just release a letter on Twitter, I think it was, saying how like, she accepts responsibility. It's her show. She should know what's going on, that kind of thing. Um, but there have been, I do, I do recall there have been some people who have spoken out that like about Ellen specifically, I think most people are speaking out about what it's like, was what it has been like working on the show. So I may have just uh, burst an Ellen bubble within you, but uh, it, it is, it is happening in, in the news cycle right now. And I, I haven't looked into it enough to be able to speak in a more educated manner than what I just gave you. And even then, it's probably a little bit skewed. That, well, no. What you did is educate because I, you educated somebody who is not educating herself right now. I've actually taken a break from news. If Which I'm is saying. probably okay. So, and so, <laughs> yes. So I've taken a two-week cleanse specifically. So if this has happened in the past two weeks. I used to read yeah, every single morning <laughs> and I would just be, I would literally, I started my day with doom and gloom and I just started, I, I have decided to focus on my projects. So mm -hmm. I literally have not paid attention and I'm now going to do a deep dive and educate myself because I don't, I don't want to be associated and think about that type of work environment. I think, you know, what's interesting. I've, I've heard rumors of that, but nothing was ever confirmed and I mm. wanted to believe it wasn't true. So Raj, that will be my Google tonight with a glass of Sauvignon. Yeah. Well, you still don't have to start your day with that kind of news. You can insert You're right. at 3 p.m. You're right. I'll do it during a lunch break. I'll get, I'll get a boring salad and cry yeah. over the boring salad about Ellen. <laughs> my dreams have now been dispersed. Anyhow. That's what we do on the show. We, we disperse dreams. dreams. Well, we were dreaming and then we dispersed them. Yes, so now, no, but, but this problem. is interesting. I did not know that. And I will, I will very much look into that. The, the fame piece you touched on is interesting. You said like when you were younger, you just wanted to be famous. And I think a lot of us have some degree of that. I I'm, I'm probably didn't outwardly say it, but that was probably a definitely a motivating factor when I was younger. And I think what I've learned is that fame is very relative to the communities and audiences you're around. Yeah. For example, like there is a very small percent probably you can count on two hands or two hands and two feet 
the number of people in the world who are actually known by everyone in the world. Yeah. It would be like Michael Jordan and, and like Oprah would probably be like yeah. the two on that list um, where you could go to like the most random pocket in the world and they would know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even have like apparel of, of, of either of those people. Um, but aside from that, it's really like, for example, there are people, such, myself included, who like have some degree of influence on LinkedIn and we have our followers, but we're not, it, to me though, the humbling thing is always like, there are people on LinkedIn who like follow me for my content. And, and sometimes people will be like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually connected with you. Or I can't believe I'm actually talking to you. I happen to meet them in person because they've been viewing my stuff online for a while. And I'm like, Oh, it's weird. But at the same time, the humbling part is like, there's that. And then there's like, some of my like groups of friends like don't really totally even know what I do for a living. <laughs> I mean. Right. And so I think that's like the, that's the interesting like disparity. And it's also humbling because you know, you realize you're never as important as you think you are, but it's like, you know, there's a pocket where I have some degree of fame just as I think you have a certain pocket where you've created fame, but it doesn't mean that like the world knows who we are and that's also okay. Yeah. I think it's, twofold on that too. I think the fame that I, when I was in high school, I was 13 years old, you know, I mean, I guess that's freshman year, but I think back to, I mean, I grew up in the late night, like I was an eighties baby, but I was in high school in the late nineties, early two, I graduated in 2001. Mm -hmm. And at that time there was just this, this culture of young famous people there was a I mean there's still a lot of young famous people today but for whatever reason there wasn't social media there wasn't the internet was still like the rare you know mm-hmm. um it was very different and, and young famous just, people at that time was like Dawson's Creek cast oh my god my favorite <laughs> show I what love was her that name? show uh, Jessica Joey, Joey Potter no no but like the actress's name uh oh. Jennifer Love Hewitt uh, well, no, she's not on Dawson's. She's oh, okay. on what I did. That's what I love. What, I, know I know what you did, did last summer. Yeah, yeah, yes, okay, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but Dawson's was um, Katie Holmes, yeah, um, yeah. James Vanderbeek, Joshua Jackson, who I was obsessed with. Anyway, but all those <laughs> those things, I, I think it was fame was coming from a selfish place of I want this. I want uh, to people to know me. I want people. I think I did things that were self-serving and the motive was always internal, which I feel like now the motive is you. The motive is the audience. The motive is I'm doing this because it will brighten somebody's day. I'm doing this because it will make somebody feel better. I'm doing this because this is a really dark period right now. How can I shed light? I'm doing this workshop so somebody here can feel less alone and feel like they can come out of their shell and be the best version of themselves. I'm doing this coaching session because I want this person to feel confident when they speak in a room. So that shift for me has completely changed everything. And I, I think that I don't need the accolades. I want the impact now. Mm-hmm. And I, I chase the feeling of a person, people specifically wanting change in their lives and seeing that change happen. And so that makes sense. And it's, I mean that really wholeheartedly. Like I'm not saying this clichely. I do mm. think clichely is that a word? I do <laughs> think that it is true to, I mean, I always wanted to help people, but I just, was so young and immature I didn't know what that really meant and now I feel everything happened in a time in my life where I'm older I've had more experience that I can now see what that means to me now yeah and it's a it is a maturity point Um, it's something that I've gone through as well I I remember this is probably five years ago now with my first business I was featured in Huffington Post and I was like oh my god I've made it and then like but people don't like customers don't come calling just because your name is in Huffington Post and you're like oh wait I didn't really mean anything (laughs) yeah no it's so true it's just it's it's exposure right but I think it's it's just um 
I don't know. It's very interesting to think back on those times versus now because I still am the same person, but we all grow as we get older. We just have more experiences in life, but it's what we do with those experiences and learn from them that I think makes the difference. As I think I have said on this show before, and if I haven't, then I'm saying it now, I feel like for me personally, my 20s was spent building up my ego and now my 30s is spent just tearing it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, well, and people I think in general are sick of perfection and they're sick of, they want real, they want mm. the authenticity, they don't, you know, they want to know that people are human beings. They make mistakes and then they get back up from those mistakes. And that's how they've created the successful story that they've, they now have. I think that's, mm -hmm. and we were in this culture for a while that was perfection and this Instagram reel of highlights. And um, that's just, it, it creates thoughts in our mind that we're not good enough. And I think that now people are wanting, people celebrate the realness versus perfection. Right, right. Well, I think that's a good transition into core values, which is the the main point of discussion. Your core value building core or KPIs around core values. Um, first, just take us through. I gave a very like super high level overview of Improve It, but why don't you just give a little bit better, almost elevator pitch, if you will, of of Improve It and what you guys do. Yeah. So you're so spot on when you said in your, when your intro that, um, we used to be in person. I mean, we were only in person, uh, <laughs> but we use, we use improvisational comedy to train professionals on soft skills. So things like team building, leadership, presentation skills, networking. Um, and we do that in a setting that allows people to feel safe, supported. Um, and we now, are virtual. So everything we did in person, we moved. Thanks to the lovely platform that we are on right now, Zoom, we have a business still and it's do, it's surviving and thriving in this pandemic. Um, so we offer keynotes online, we offer our workshops online, and um, we, like you mentioned, the membership model, we have a membership going called WFH, Workshop From Home, and we just launched something today called Laugh Break which is very exciting. So we're compromised or, or we are made up, I should say of improv professionals who have strong backgrounds, not only professionally, but in improvisation and they help facilitate all of our trainings. And they're also hilarious human beings and can improvise with the best of them. They're all in all of the major stages. When the world is open, they're all on those major stages and we've created a platform for them to be on stage virtually today. So with last break, and I can tell you more about that too, but exciting. That's really cool. That's really cool. So um, as we come into this main topic of KPI, building your KPIs around core values, um, you mentioned earlier on that you, it, there was a module within the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program around core values. Was that when you said, hey, let's actually like build KPIs around this? Or was it just kind of like, okay, this is interesting to me. I'm going to table, I'm going to write something down. I'm just going to table it for now and I'll come back to it later. So great question. Actually in the course, they just taught us how to create our core values. They did not really give us any metrics or KPIs to, to use from, or to essentially utilize them. I had a friend in the program who was also, the cohort in Goldman Sachs is all business owners. It's a very hard program to get into. You have to apply, basically give your firstborn um, and your blood type, and <laughs> then, uh, then you get in, and it's a rigorous process, but you're with a cohort of business owners. So one of the women in my cohort was, uh, she's got $4 million revenue, she owns a dog supply store that is now becoming a franchise, and she gave me the idea to measure all things against our core values. And she allowed me, she provided me with a resource um, of hers that she used for interviewing. And so we used that template for interviewing. We created our own reviewing metrics based on those core values. And it's very simple. Um, but the interesting thing is what I found, we have one hire internally who we may, and we're a small team, so that makes a huge difference. 
who we hired specific to core values. So every interview question was tied to a core value in some way, shape, or form. Mm. And we came up with those because we wanted to make sure that the person that we hired, what we do is we sell trust and we sell collaboration. So if that person is not a, a trustworthy person or a collaborative person to their core, then they're not going to be able to sell our service. So every review that I do with her, she's every core value. She gets the five out of five mm -hmm. compared to the core value because she was hired for her core values. And I should say there's actually one, there, there's a couple metrics in there that can, can variable because they're based on metrics. Like one of them is drive results. So if the results aren't there, you can score lower. Um, but it's interesting because I, I said to her before, I was like, you're never probably not going to score high on these. And, and anyone in our company now is not going to score high. It's just, we keep them, we keep the measurements small. So we measure every quarter. Um, things can shift and change just based on what's going on at work, what's going on in the world, what's going on with you personally. But our goal is to make sure that we hire people because that is our business who believe in our these core values because you can't train that. That is, that is, you can, but it will take a lot of time if you hire based on who they are to the root of their human being, then you can train them on the skills that they need to do their job. It is very hard to do the opposite, which is what we teach soft skill training. So we need a lot of time to develop somebody into this, you know, vision of yes. And so if I'm one of our core values is yes. And which means you don't judge, you add to what is being said, you celebrate everyone's idea. You can train somebody to do yes and, but if somebody is selling yes and, you better believe that they've got to believe it to the core mm -hmm. of who they are. So, it's, it, does that make sense? It's yeah, a, of course, of course. It's they can't be putting on, concept. They can't be putting on a smile to start talking about yes and, it has to actually be from within. Yes. Hands. What are the other core? You mentioned yes and you mentioned drives results. What are what are the full suite of core values? Yep. So there's five. So yes and explore more, drive results. Um, oh God, I'm like play and have fun and everyday leadership. So um, I can elaborate on those two. But well, I'm curious then. How do you take that and then build an interview process around that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I, I and I say this because. There are a lot of companies who do want to like see the person exhibiting elements of core values within the interview process, but they don't necessarily like track against it. And typically they're looking more for like, do they, are they able to do the seven bullet points of the job function, which I know that's also important, but so how are you able to take those five core values you just mentioned and actually build the interview process around that? Totally. So great, great cue. This is where my friend in Goldman Sachs stepped in and she provided me with a template that she uses. It's a scorecard. And essentially it's, we take these, we take the core values, we um, assign a numeric value to where they fall on that scale based on a series of questions. So for yes and, we will ask a series of questions that help us understand, are they, could they, and are mm -hmm. they living this way? And then based on those answers, we then rate them on a one to five scale and everybody in the company interviews anybody who's coming on. So it's not just one person's answer. We then take their over everybody's score and we average them. And then we look at who has the highest score. And generally that's the person that we want to hire. Um, so, and we do that as well with our facilitators who are contracts. So that's, that's how we internally hire is based on a series of questions that relate to each core value. And then we measure their, uh, out of those five elements, a one through five scale, what's their number average with everyone in the organization who they've talked to. And then we generally look at, okay, they, there's, that's one assessment. We also have them take an assessment prior to even interviewing. So that's the first step is they take an assessment. Are they a good fit for this role? based on this, this assessment that we've, that a, a, a vendor we use um, is actually helping us resource and see like, could they do sales? 
could they mm-hmm. are they good at administrative tasks for hiring for an administrative role? Then if they are score high on that, and it doesn't necessarily mean they have to, if they don't score high enough on that to be good fit for what that assessment says, we'll probably still interview them if we see potential on the resume. And then we take the score from the core values and we take those two and kind of combine them side by side to see will this match up and we've found success in this process. So um, it is, it's using data, but also using a lot of behavioral type questions to get the results that we're looking for. Um, And then this is internal hires, contract hires. um, We're using more of just the core value scale because our, our contractors are facilitators and they are the face of our company. So they have to, they have to embody these things to the core. And we always say the traits of a good improviser are the traits of a good human. So, I mean, on stage, you have to be able to yes and in order to be successful. You have to be able to explore and heighten scenes. You have to be able to drive results, which is ultimately play with everybody on your team to make it everybody is on stage as an ensemble. You have to be able to be a leader and and be a leader that you want to be and then play, learn, and have fun is a given in improv. So all of these traits that we have in our core values are also the traits of a great improviser. So the ability to see that in an interview process, and, and, and our facilitators are a bit different because not only do they have score on the core values side, the interview side, they also have to audition. Mm-hmm. So, and we have to make sure that they're a solid performer. So what we do is we find haystacks and we just look through them for the needle, and then we pull them out. Um, and those are the people who are facilitators for us. And they're the best people. We call ourselves the Improve It family. I mean, they have got each other's backs, and they know each other because the improv community is small. We've got facilitators in Chicago and Charlotte. And now, because we're virtual, those two teams, people know each other. So that's been a real, that's been a blessing of this pandemic, is that before, they were almost just two separate worlds that didn't exist together. And now, we're one big Improve It family that shares Zooms and happy hours. <laughs> so let's, I want to focus a little bit on Drive's results uh, as one of your um, core values and, and how that plays out, because I think oftentimes when we think of core values, we just think of that as like an internal thing and how do we connect with each other as colleagues and coworkers. But part of this is how the company is able to grow because of these values from not just a, are we, you know, being more of a family internally, but are our sales growing? Is our revenue growing? Are we expanding as a company? So can you touch on, and maybe it's more than just the drives results, but can you touch on how this impacts the external facing brand and, and the overall growth of the company? Yeah. So Raj, this is, well, just to start off with growth, we had substantial year over year growth since 2016. So it was 40%, 30%, 25%, and this year we were on par to do another 20% year-over-year growth. Now, if you had a crystal ball and told me that while I put together this beautiful five-year growth plan at Goldman Sachs that there was going to be a global pandemic and people couldn't leave their house, I might have planned differently. Um, <laughs> so we are the, the word of the year is uh, break even. And um, <laughs> so we are, I mean, truly our world got turned up down in this global pandemic and when we say drive results what that means is we all internally I'll speak internally and then I'll speak um, what that looks like externally so internally we have metrics that we are all responsible for every single person knows exactly the amount of revenue that they're responsible for generating every single person is met that's the drive results piece we measure that weekly we measure that monthly we measure it quarterly so we have a weekly meeting we have a monthly meeting and then the review period is when we talk about it quarterly so um i mean and we're small so we know we can tell very quickly what's happening in our organization how that how that looks and how that is shown externally is just by the customer service that we provide 
So because we know, you know, here are our metrics, here's what we need to do to drive revenue, our team is on it. I mean, to, we are a very high touch business. I mentioned this before, but in order for us to get you, your company, to stop productivity, to get all 30, let's say it's 35 people in your organization, all 35 people in a room for two hours to give us, to allow us that time, people have to trust us. I say it's like buying a wedding dress. Like people need to feel good when they have a conversation with us. They need to walk away knowing that they are in the good hands and their company is in good hands because they're the client who books us. They're the one who's going to get the pushback if it doesn't go well. So um, what that looks like is giving the best service to our clients as possible in order to drive those results. And when we say drive results for our facilitators, they're a bit different because internally we're trying to bring in revenue and our facilitators are the ones that are doing the actual service. So we measure metrics at the end of every workshop. There is a survey. We provide an infographic to the client and we provide feedback to our facilitators after everything in person or virtual. So they know if they're measuring up to the success of the client and the ROO, the return on the client's objective. So from a very, um, I mean, we believe that data tells a story and we are improvisers, but we're also some of the most planned people in the world, my internal team. We are type A and we don't, we're not mad about it. Um, and it just, that's what you have to do in order to see that growth. So from every level in the organization, internally facilitators, we are driving those results in either bringing it in and then pushing out the service. We are measuring it every single step of the way because we wouldn't be called improve it if we didn't want to improve. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's a great question. I hope it answered the question, but it's a, that core value is what generates growth in our business. That core value is growth. I want to ask a couple more questions before we begin our wrap up. But before I do that, I just want to pause and give a shout out to our partner of the show, sales hacker, which uh, if you've been listening for a while, then you're probably familiar with Sales Hacker, but they are the world's smartest and largest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It's 135,000 members deep, which means whether you're a CEO like Aaron, whether you're a head of sales or a sales rep or anywhere in between or even a marketer, Sales Hacker helps you get better at your job, plain and simple, with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including Le Moi. Sometimes I'm a contributor on the platform. Um, it's it's a really smart group of people, and I love what they're doing over there, especially over the past couple months. They've launched a whole brand new website, which is now very community-driven. So instead of passive content absorption, you can actually get involved through discussion boards. They're hosting weekly Ask Me Anythings on different sales topics. For example, things like, how do I break the ice with someone on LinkedIn? Or what are some good subject lines for cold emails? These are all discussions that you can not only read, but become a part of yourself. How do you become part of those conversations and become part of the community? Well, you can join Sales Hacker for free at www.saleshacker.com. All you gotta do is enter your email address and you're in. Again, it's saleshacker.com to get the access to the articles, the research, the webinars, the podcast, the Ask Me Anythings, and more. www.saleshacker.com. Our show is also brought to you by the Blissful Prospecting Think Outside the Script Summer Tour. My partner, or my, excuse me, my friend, Jason Bay, who was the uh, first guest of this season of the show, he is hosting this summer-long virtual tour to help you get better at prospecting. There are live interactive virtual sessions every week all the way through early October with experts and practitioners and actual account executives and SDRs who are sharing the strategies, the formulas, the, the weapons in their toolkit or the tools in their toolkit, I should say, um, all to help you get better at your outreach. So if you want to know how to send better cold emails, if you want to know how to make better cold calls, if you want to learn about how to get the confidence to make a cold call, if you want to talk about psychology of your buyers, all of these things are available in the Think Outside the Script Summer Tour. There are two to three live interactive sessions happening per week, so none of it is pre-recorded. It is all happening, and I can tell you, I did my session recently. It was amazing, and 
there have been so many that I have tuned into myself. And even though you get the recording, I have to say it is so much better if you are there live when you can interact with the chat box and all that stuff. To become part of the tour where you can sign up for as many talks as you would like, all for free, you just go to tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Again, tour.blissfulprospecting.com and you can sign up for as many talks as you like, all for free. The tour continues through early October. Today on the show, we've got Aaron Deal, the founder and CEO of Improve It, and we're talking about building your KPIs around your core values. So Aaron, a couple more questions here before we close up shop. Um, you mentioned you've, you've had some really good growth over the last few years. Now, if you endure another crazy expansive growth period, would that mean you have to add values on or change your values? Or do you think KPIs change within the existing core values or does neither of it change? It's a great question. I truly believe that these five core values are who we are to the core of, of it improve it. And I don't think they change. I think that either um, we change with it, if that makes sense. And for us, these five things are truly what we stand for on an external level, external level, excuse me, our service offerings are these five things. So unless we went back and changed everything that we provide to our clients, then these five things will, will exist as long as we are serving clients in the way we are right now. Um, I will say that I, I'm just so pleased with the core values that we've come up with and how it's helped our growth. And obviously in 2020, it's a different year. Um, <laughs> but uh, what we were projected to do and what we were planned on doing was based on this growth. And we were actually expanding to Atlanta this year. That was another uh, part of our growth plan that we created with Goldman Sachs. And we were bringing on more co-facilitators this this core value principle and measuring against this core value principle while interviewing and, and looking for talent was going to be the forefront of everything we do. I'm saying even interns who work with us go through this interview process. So it is, it is really uh, embodied us as an organization. And I think because of that, it helps people because the people that are helping them embody these five traits. So you brought up the 2020 aspect and I think I, I did want to actually ask about that in the sense that um, I think it's a lot easier to point to core values when things are going really well, when times yeah. are good. And I think a lot of organizations are able to do that. I also think I have actually seen and actually experienced in a past life um, what happens when things aren't going so well. And obviously there's, we're in a pandemic right now, which is a little different, but like I've been with a company where sales were down and all of a sudden it felt like those values, which were posters on the wall around the office did not exist as anything more than posters on the wall around the office. Yeah. And we got so like, well, we got to increase revenue. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the only focus. And all those other things seem to just sort of like fall off by the wayside. So what's your advice or recommendation for living it? Because I, I, I would say it's more important during the downtimes, arguably. Yeah. So what is your advice for making sure that you still live these values even when things aren't going well? I mean, so I hear you on that. I actually, and I'm you know, this, I don't like to speak negatively of any company I've ever worked for, but I've, I've worked for a company where there were core values and they were just like a joke, right? Like they were just something we were like, oh, that's a core, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing the thing. And we laughed about it. And um, I think when you involve your company and the employees in the creation of the core values, that that's what actually makes them stick because they've had a help. It's, yes and and to a t it's yes anding each other to help create something as a group versus one person dictating what they are so if you can reevaluate your core values let's say you hire you have a great year you have to hire new people 
reevaluate those core values year over year and have make sure they're still aligned with who you are as an organization. I mentioned these five will be with us because I think right now I'm so pleased with the team that we have. I think we're kind of at a stagnant growth period. So we're not bringing on new talent, but let's say I had to hire 200 new people. I would bring on those people into a room and do a collective brainstorm to make sure that they are a part of the core value process. Because when you feel a part of the team and you feel like you've contributed to creating what the company stands for, then when you're measured against it, it's not somebody else's metric, it's your own metric. And so that is a huge difference, I think, in the creation of core values versus it being a poster on the wall. I will say in, in times of, of chaos, like we're in, um, one of the core values, yes and, is how I like to lead. And it is something that I feel like I, I always have done, but it is, again, it means don't judge, allow people to share ideas, don't necessarily negate, just add to what they're saying, make them feel heard, and it's almost like a thank you for contributing an idea. Mm. When with this pandemic hit, my go-to leadership style is yes and. And there's a book called The Hard Things About, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah. And it talks about two types of leaders. There's a peacetime leader and there's a wartime leader. And when things get crazy, if you're in a war zone, you don't want a person asking you, how do you think we should go to battle? What is your idea? You want them to say, you go here, you go here, you go here. And so I went to my natural leadership style of yes and in the beginning. I was like, what do you think we should do? Should we have online offerings? Should we, you know, and my team was so, was so scared and they were feeling the fear that I was feeling about because we're an in-person business now faced with, do we even have a business? It took me a couple days and then I realized they don't, they don't need me to yes and them. They need me to say, here's where we're going. And sometimes I think when we're faced with challenges, like we're in, in 2020, you have to say, these are our core values. This is who I am on a day-to-day basis. But right now I need to step into this other leadership role and I need to delegate and I need to say, this is where we're going. Follow me, get on the bus because the bus is moving. And that change and that shift in that time period, actually looking back on it, did embody yes and because my team needed me to yes and a pivot. My team needed me to step in and yes and our own selves, but they, they didn't necessarily need to be a part of that process. They needed a leader who was going to guide them and get them through it. So there can be shifts in your core values is what I want to say based on chaotic situations. And then also just really making sure that the people who are a part of your organization feel tied to those core values because they've had a part in creating them will make it be more than a poster on a wall. It will make them breathe it, live it every single day. And, and to clarify, you, when you say there can be shifts in core values, do you mean a shift on what they are or a shift on which value gets emphasized? I think it's a shift on what value gets emphasized okay. and in which way. Because yes and, if I'm looking at it, if I was sitting here in, in March when everything went down, did I embody yes and? In the Yes, I did. Was that the thing that was needed for the team at the time? The answer is a yes and to the yes and. Yes, it was needed, <laughs> but I needed to do it in a different way than I'd done it before. So it mm. needs, it can be tweaked and it can, depending on the situation, but I still at the root of who I was, involved them in the process by saying, here's how we're going to move forward. You're not going to, we're not going to sit here and brainstorm. I'm going to tell us this time. And then through, through tweaking it, we can brainstorm collectively. It's a little convoluted, but it, 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 um, it's just the difference in what's when things are going well. So the past four years we've seen year over year growth, things were going well. This yeah. was, I don't a know shift. if it's convoluted. I think it's acknowledging that yeah. you cannot run a company the same way every day as if nothing else is happening. That's it. That's right. it. That's it. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's hit our wrap up. Where can our listeners find you and learn more about improve it? Yes. So you can check out our website, learn to that's to improve it.com. 
Um, I also have a podcast called The Failed It Podcast. So we believe there are no mistakes as an improver or an improviser. There are no mistakes, only gifts. So we look at your failures as gifts. So we interview people who are very successful stories and we honor those gifts along their way. Um, I also provide some tangible uh, tips on gifting, AKA failing, um, because we believe it's a big part of the process. And uh, there's also my own personal Instagram, at keeping it real deal, (laughs) D-I-E-H-L. Uh, and our improve it Instagram is at learn to T O improve it. So would love to have any of your listeners, um, check us out there. As I mentioned, we just launched something called last break, which is an on demand service that you can book 48 hours in advance for your zoom meetings. We provide 15 to 30 minutes of last breaks with professional improvisers, um, over your zoom and you book it on demand within 48 hours. We will show up to your meeting and improve it. Awesome. As we do our wrap up now, we will each give our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first, then I'll toss it to you. So our topic was building your building KPIs around your core values. Uh, to me, I think that the biggest takeaway I got from this discussion was uh, kind of what we talked about towards the end there, which is your core values should not be the thing that like locks you in in any way. It should actually enable you to improve and modify with the times as necessary. It doesn't like, like you shouldn't feel bound by these values they, you should feel like you have limitless possibilities because of them. Uh, and that comes through being able to recognize in the moment, which value requires more emphasis or how does the way it's manifested adapt based on uh, either internal or external happenings. Aaron, uh, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the audience, building KPIs around your core values. Well, I, I loved your summary, so that was amazing. Um, <laughs> well, I got it from you, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say this. I would say, top number one, let people be a part of the process. Allow them to be a part of the core value building. Two is, um, as you mentioned, they can shift over time and they can change based on what's happening in the world. But if you believe to the core of who you are that this is who your organization is, it will not only affect the talent that you attract, the talent that you retain, but it will attract and retain the clients and people that you serve. Awesome. My final question, which is how we end every episode of this show, Fill in the blank, Aaron. Entrepreneurship is blank. Freedom. I did answer this one that you sent me earlier. Freedom. And I will (laughs) tell you, uh, entrepreneurship success is is all about, in my opinion, having freedom. And freedom to choose where you work, where you live, what you do, and who you serve. And that's it. Entrepreneurship is freedom. She is Aaron Deal, founder and CEO of Improve It. Aaron, thank you for joining me today on this edition of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you, Raj. I want my voiceover. (laughs) (laughs) That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.